You are now entering a mahogany forum where we hope you find a resilient soul resonating message sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb with your host Alexa, an urban researcher. Follow her as she curates Mahogany Honey, the podcast dedicated to culture, social change, education, relationships, and so much more. Hi guys, welcome to Mahogany Honey. Today we have a special guest. We have Brianna Dorellis. Woo! <laughs> please, please correct me if I didn't say it right, but um, no, nope, you said nope. it right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're taking off. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, today we have a special topic. We're going to talk about triumph and trials, and you know, entrepreneurship journey. Brianna, we, we're going to go into it girl we're gonna go into storytelling you're gonna tell us about your path to becoming an entrepreneur how you got here you're gonna throughout the conversation we're gonna hope to like provide the listeners you know with motivation and Mm. hopefully they can embrace their purpose as well as we touch upon community Mm -hmm. you know your purpose a woman in business. I love saying that. I love how that just like rolls off my tongue. Breakthrough moments. Cause I always love getting into the breakthrough moments of like, aha, this is literally what brought me to this point and mm. current ventures and hopefully generational wealth, um, or holistic abundance for our purpose. Awesome. Um, so let's jump right in girl. Yay! <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, well, first of all, um, thank you so, so much for having me. I know when we first, I guess, met via Zoom, you gave me like a virtual hug at the end. And I was like, oh, I needed this. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome time with her. So thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me that virtual hug. Um, So yes, I am Brianna Dorellis. I am here (laughs) in Atlanta, Georgia, Um, originally from uh, more South Georgia, so uh, Statesboro, Georgia. Um, And I grew up um, just being very drawn to uh, National Geographic books at the grocery store. Okay. And my mom saw that and she was like, hmm, there's something here. So fast forward, um, she got me into Model United Nations. Um, she got me interested in different cultures around the world. I mean, uh, she really nurtured the gift. So uh, fast forward, I'm in college and I um, am an international studies major. And I go to Honduras and Costa Rica on uh, service abroad, study abroad. And I literally ask, you know, one of those cheesy moments in your life, like, how can I do something like this for the rest of my life? So I learned about the world of nonprofits, of nonprofit work, of being able to uplift others. And I got to the nonprofit sector. And then I think reality just hit me in the face. And I started uh, learning more about just uh, nonprofits and the disparities that they try to tackle, but also the disparities within the nonprofit themselves when it came to racial equity, when it came to not keeping community at the center, um, but funders are first and board is first and, you know, you know, these things that supersede the original mission and purpose. 
And so um, that's when I really started to think back and look at my journey in the nonprofit sector. I was first an AmeriCorps member, uh, served for that for two years. Then I went into humanitarian aid, sending medical supplies overseas while also directing volunteers. I was in humanitarian aid, um, specifically when it came to refugee resettlement. And so in those different areas, I continued to be a black woman who was in the middle of uh, supporting the communities that looked like me, but also trying to support from a job role perspective, um, majority white volunteers. And so I was sort of kind of stuck in between of my loyalty and professionalism and what does it look like to serve effectively both sides. So it just got jumbled up. So that was my journey. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll dive into more bits and pieces of that. But it made me start to realize and see that the root cause of a lot of the nonprofits issues, specifically in volunteer management, was that community was not at the center anymore. It was all about volunteer centric, volunteer focused. And so I started doing little things to shift the tide within the nonprofits that I served. Um, in order to create a more inclusive space for communities um, that we were serving. And so I did those changes and um, it birthed connecting the cause and uh, it birthed my entrepreneurial journey of, listen, I need to do this more often, more fervently, and I need to take a step away from the actual nonprofit sector in a more concerted way to try to do it. And so thus created Connecting the Cause and it's a consulting agency and it's specifically designed for volunteers and individuals, those that uh, serve volunteers to help identify and uproot harmful practices um, in black and brown communities that they serve. And so helping them not harm, um, but really truly partner in the ways that they give. And so that's a little bit about how I moved to be. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that was, thank you for that. That was an amazing um, detailed like info right there. Info yeah, I tried to like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I have so many questions um, because I also worked with volunteers at some point and I was a volunteer myself because I started as a volunteer, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's so amazing. Like when you first jump into something, you're willing to do it for free. You love this so much that you're willing to do this at no cost, right? However, along the way, I have confronted some of the things that you had mentioned of like, okay, I feel as if we're losing the focus of the work and the people we're serving. So, you know, the importance of taking care of the volunteers first and foremost, because they're literally our lifeline. Right. Right. I think, um, yeah, I've, I've been there too. I, I, like I said, I started off, I think in that, you know, serving through college, but even before then I was at boys and girls club when I was young. And I had volunteers that were around me and a number of staff, a number of the volunteers, they were black. And, you know, to experience that, but then go into a larger city, 
to work within multiple nonprofit organizations and then to see that, you know, the tide had flipped and it was majority white was, was very interesting. And yeah, that tension between, you know, those that I serve look like me, I identify with them more, but then at the same time, there is this um, there's almost this tension of, I don't want to get too close because I am also a professional in this role. And I am nervous that, you know, that the professionalism part, the staff, my boss will look at me not being a professional or caring too much about community if I'm always fighting back around the things that are happening. And so oftentimes I stayed silent. And so that's something that I even had to work through as a black woman of the ways that I had been institutionalized to sort of kind of forego my loyalty, forego who I was and literally sort of kind of assimilate to the organizational structure that was there. And so I am also doing a lot of unlearning when it comes to that too. Wow. Yeah, I think I probably am as well too. It's so interesting uh, because when you start doing work for free and you're doing this out of the, you know, the willingness and kindness of your heart, how does this model of I'm willing to do this for free later on affect you when you're actually trying to get a paid job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when I look at the way that we do things for free and the way that volunteerism is set up, I think oftentimes it leads us, especially I can just talk about me as a black woman, Um, if I'm doing certain things for free, especially when it comes, you know, specifically for the community, I will then try to get, you know, a paid job or even a miracle. That was something that you just didn't get like a regular paycheck. Right. And so when it came to that, there were a lot of feelings of number one, I did this out of the kindness of my heart. So I'm nervous to then ask, for what I'm worth, what my skills are worth, what I'm valued at, because it's community work, right? And so then I'm just like, I, I was in those positions, but then I knew that I am valuable because of my differences. I am valuable because of the experiences that I bring. And I'm not asking about my white counterpart and if they deserve to be here. So why am I asking myself if I deserve to be here? That is something that's once again, internalized that I did up to myself when no, I can I can advocate for myself and I can show up for myself. and know that community work has to be done with excellence. Community work has to be done with care. It's not fluffy, it's not frou-frou, it's not a good to have. So nonprofits, organizations, put your money where your mouth is and pay those that know the work, that do the work to come on board and be able to, to make a difference and support them in that way of being able to show up for their skills um, when it comes to being able to make sure they have food on the table so they can show up for for the community that they serve. And so I had to go through a lot of different 
backwards and forwards in my head of, am I worthy of this? Should I get the paycheck? Should I not get the paycheck? And no, I want to be excellent. So being excellent means being able to be paid for what I do and what I do well. Right. Because many times we appreciate volunteer work because it is the way in many times to a job that we would first like that we first see doing and right. long term and so eventually like we take pride like you said in doing the work that we do it with excellence even if we're not you know being compensated monetarily however we're being rewarded in so many different ways right however when we start losing you know when eventually we gain enough knowledge right of like how to do a certain we have we gain the skills you know like when you're an intern or you're doing an apprenticeship yeah. etc you're like okay I came in here um having no knowledge but now I I'm actually have built skills mm-hmm. you know now mm-hmm. I have more to give I, I see that I'm making a difference I'm making an impact right right so at this point you know, if we, I guess if we're not careful, can we at some point have imposter syndrome if we lack awareness? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel, I feel like imposter syndrome is, <laughs> is impermeated everywhere. I think in every sector, specifically when it comes to me being a black woman, I think that I have definitely been in those situations where I've been the volunteer, I've been the intern, then I've been the AmeriCorps member, I've gained all of these skills, I'm able to effectively communicate these skills on the resume, but then all of a sudden when it's time, I automatically have this sense of, uh uh-oh, am I worthy? Uh Uh-oh, do I have, do I really have these skills? Is this did I just live a fake reality where like none of these like actually happened? And I'll get to the point where I'm literally sort of kind of just stagnant and frozen because I feel like um, th- whether it's through, you know, board meetings, whether it's through meetings with bosses, whether it's in staff meetings, you get looks or you get uh, these microaggressions where you feel like you actually don't know what you're doing. And then it turns into you really having an imposter syndrome for the fact that you actually know, you know, that you're supposed to be there, you know, you're supposed to be doing the right thing. So for sure. I promise you this just came to me as the conversation was going. I was like, you know what? I think some of the things that are rooted in me uh, that I'm battling myself, one of them being probably imposter syndrome, I think is rooted in that lack of awareness of coming in with that volunteer mindset and carrying it on and not evolving that mindset. Mm -hmm. And to Mm -hmm. like, okay, I've grown. Mm -hmm. taking a moment to reflect and being like I'm valuable I'm far more valuable now yeah yeah I think that you know specifically you know women of color when we get to a point where we've learned you know the skills that we've been able to learn and had the experiences that we've been able to we have to make sure that we know our trophies what are the trophies that we've had throughout the years Have we documented those trophies? Because we can so easily forget the triumphs that we've been able to accomplish and the things we've been able to overcome. And it is a lie that it has to be, you know, something professional. 
Like it doesn't have to be something where you had a specific nine to five in a corporate job in an office. I listen, I learned how to work with people when I was volunteering. And I also learned how to deal with different people when I was a 14 year old trying to volunteer at a church camp, like that stuff matters. I also learned how to deal with a vast array of people when my first job at 16 was at McDonald's. Everybody come through McDonald's, okay? So literally being able to know how to move and operate these things are, it, it, it requires that self-awareness to start thinking of those victories and those triumphs. Like, no, I have something to offer. I have something to bring to the table and it's substantial and just because it wasn't a similar experience just because it wasn't in an office chair does not does not make it uh, less of a skill does not make it less worthy so for sure absolutely and mm-hmm. I think about negotiating salaries too yeah Whew. something we need to do as women of color more often yeah negotiate your salary Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to go there yep yep and this and the funny thing is the the when I was leaving organizations that's when they communicated oh but we can give you this and we can give you that and we can you know offer you this and we can offer you that and one of the things I think is so important when it comes to you know the negotiating salary or just in general knowing your worth is at the end of the day (laughs) the worst thing they can say is no so if the worst thing they can say is no you either have to make the decision do they see me as a valuable asset of this organization or do I need to go ahead and start looking for something else? Like it's, it's literally that plain. A lot of the angst is the ask, right? A lot of it is the, I need to communicate to you what my worth is versus, you know, I love the notion of let me show you my receipts versus let me try to convince you of how worthy I am. And so if you've been in an organization and you've, you know, seen the different projects you've done and the different things that you've been able to accomplish, you already have those there. It's now based on their decision, you know, what they want to do with it. And then you have a decision to make, okay, am I going to trust that they really don't have the money right now? Probably not. They probably do. They probably have already given a couple of raises to a couple of different people who may not have looked like you already. And so it's that decision, it's that point. You know, do I continue to uh, be here and, you know, deal with the fact that I'm going to live off of this? Or am I going to make the decision that they don't see me as an asset and they don't see me as something to be developed? and something to be trusted and someone to be trusted and do I just need to move on that part Mm -hmm. so we know that there's a difference of working for nonprofit and working for profit Mm -hmm. what are your experiences if any um and that you've noticed like the differences that come Um, that's a good question. Just because the majority of my career has been in the nonprofit space. Um, but I can definitely, 
account, um, speaking with different people, speaking with family members, speaking with friends as far as the corporate sector. And I think honestly, there are a lot of more similarities when it comes to the inner workings of nonprofit organizations and for-profit. Like for instance, yes, the mission is different for-profit. They, their bottom line is profit. Nonprofit organizations, their stated bottom line is we are recycling for community. We are giving back to the community. It's not to, you know, buffer, you know, different parts of us is to basically be able to really serve those that we give back to. And so what I noticed and what I've been communicated is just the fact that things like women in the workplace, particularly black women in the workplace and the issues that we have are not specific to nonprofit or corporate or for-profit. They are literally across the board. It's just a different hat. You get microaggressions there, you get microaggressions here, you get instances where you are disrespected there, you get instances where you're not trusted here. You know, there a lot of them are like the same similarities that I've seen. And so that calls to show there needs to be a whole uprooting of just the way women of color are just treated in general in all types of sectors because I've noticed that there are a lot of the same trends for both sides. Mm. Glad you said that. Mm. <laughs> so what was the pivotal moment that led you to start your own like business? What? Yeah. Oh yeah, there are a couple of things. So number one, the way that I felt siloed within an organization, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to do the work on a larger scale. And so I needed to be outside of the nonprofit to be able to do more work or just have a more flexible schedule. Um, the second part of that was I had a pivotal conversation with my boss when she happened to find out that I had a consulting business um, and it was just starting. So it wasn't like incorporated. It wasn't, and it wasn't an LLC yet. I was just, you know, sort of kind of putting the feelers out there and um, it was communicate. I forgot how she found out, but it was communicated that I had this side thing because that's what it was right then. And so she called me in her office and she started going down a list and saying, when you went to this meeting, was it for connecting the cause or was it for us? When you went to do this present presentation, was it for connecting the cause or was it for us? Now this is on company time. And so, yeah, I was completely distraught. Um, it felt like an ambush. It felt like uh, just a complete lack of distrust. By that time, I was there for going on five years. And she had been my same boss for the majority of that time. And so it felt, I felt hurt. And that there wasn't a conversation of, hey, tell me about what this amazing thing is you're doing versus an accusatory, you know, were you doing this is this on our time? We And then she proceeded to say that she needed to see a list of the programs and services that I did. Uh, she proceeded to ask me, did I get any clients from the from 
our current organization. I mean, it was just very accusatory. And um, we're okay now. We've had our conversation. We've talked through it now. But there was another, like, yep, it is time. It was another one of those conversations of it is time. And um, surprisingly, I had already talked to HR about it. I had already, you know, talked to HR, communicated it. And then when she asked me to, you know, uh, communicate all of this stuff, she said, I'm going to turn it into the board. I'm going to turn it into the CEO and see, you know, what they have to say about it. I would have much rather her turned it in and us had a conversation, but she never ended up turning it in. Like she never ended up even communicating it out. And so like, what was the purpose of all of that? And so it was, it was heart-wrenching, honestly, because now I had figured out, okay, it's time for me to go and move to something different. And then the last part of it was the fact that Connecting the Cause actually didn't start off with the mission that it has now. First mission of Connecting the Cause was connecting people to causes that they cared about. So I would look at, it was like a, like a liaison. I would look at their skills, look at their interests and see, you know, based on the nonprofits that I know, based on the landscape, this is where you can serve. This is where you can volunteer. This is where you can, you know, have, you know, these different spaces for you to be able to produce your skills and communicate your skills and help these communities. But then I started realizing, because number one, a lot of them are white women. What I started realizing was, if I don't help them with a heart change of how they see the communities they serve from a place of pity and power to then moving you know, to a place of partnership, if I don't help them navigate that, then I am literally aiding in the, in the oppression of my people because I'm just connecting harmful people to their communities and I am not focused on educating them and showing them that you're not coming in with a posture of pity or power you're coming in with partnership and what does that look like and so that is sort of kind of how birthing how, how connecting the cause was birth wow yes, I love that yeah it's like you're because I was a liaison at some point so for me it just my mind is like massaged when you say it because it's so organized and strategic Mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. it's like yeah effectiveness like you're literally taking their purpose and lining them up and assisting them as to like where they can best serve right based on like right versus just like throwing them and being like okay here do volu- do community work volunteer right right most, oftentimes Yes. And that's, and that's what I wanted. That's, that's what I wanted at the very beginning um, to be that liaison. And then um, as I was connecting them and it, and it was working, I then saw even again, okay, it's something bigger than this. Um, It's something larger where they have to get education, where I have to serve as a voice, as a leader in making sure I promote helpful practices, uh, practices of belonging, practices of worth, uh, practices of dignity, practices of respect, so that they're not connecting with, uh, you know, those communities and they're showing, you know, privilege, power, pity, all of those different types of things, racism. And so now connecting the cause is specifically catering to 
uh, nonprofits and volunteers to help uproot those practices so that we can learn to love better by serving better. And if I may say this, please correct me if wrong. It's almost as if you're revoking performative allyship. Mm. You're revoking access to performative allyship. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, that's a biggie. Like you just like drop, like go ahead and just drop your mic (laughs) right there. Because yeah, it's so true. Um, Volunteerism is absolutely performative if you're not doing the hard work to see the communities differently. It's absolutely, um, you're looking at them um, in through the lens of what happened to you and your experiences and you're bringing all of that to your volunteerism. So many times, you know, we think we just bring our passion and our compassion to volunteerism, but that's just not the only thing we bring. We bring our dinner table conversations from when we were nine years old and, you know, mom was calling, you know, the gardener or the mailman or her coworker the N-word. Like that's coming to, you know, the the volunteer space. It's coming to the volunteer space where you see homeless people, people who are experiencing homelessness and you look at them like, their choices led them there without knowing their story or seeing the full picture. You're carrying that into volunteer spaces. And so connecting the cause is meant for a disruption that no, we're not here to just perform good works, but we're also here to really dive deep into what it means to change your heart so that even when you walk away from the volunteer uh, environment from that specific service, you are still doing the good work of being an advocate outside of what people see, but it's also happening in your heart as well. And so that's what connecting the cause is built on. I just need to like see <laughs> that for a second. Cause that was just, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm going to, I have, I feel, cause this just came to my mind right now, as I heard you speaking, I had a, a podcast, uh, I did a, a lot, I had a guest speaker before you come on and we spoke about, um, the importance at times you were, you met, you touched on this a little bit earlier, um, how some jobs, you know, do they make space for side projects? Like, do you make space for passion projects? And at times the way that you described the way that you were approached, you know, um, almost made me feel like I have before that incident has not happened to me, mm-hmm. the, how it has happened to you. However, there have been moments where I've experienced microaggressions and I've almost been in my mind, I was like, this feels very possessive. Like it almost mm. as if I'm being objectified and I'm, mm. I, it's, it's not safe for me to grow or like have an individuality outside of here. Wow. Yes. I can absolutely relate to that. And I had not put, um, I think the word possessiveness on it before. And so seeing it from that angle, you know, absolutely. I think that after 
I, well, a couple of things, not because you're making my head sort of kind of turn. A couple of things. Number one, you know, I think it's so important that we are able to be our full selves in our jobs. We're, we're able to bring our full selves. And what does, you know, our full selves mean? Do we feel comfortable enough of even communicating what, you know, our full selves are? And when I think about even the times before we had that conversation, it's like you, I've been there for four years. Like you've seen my work, you've seen my ethic, you've, I've gotten accolade after accolade just around the fact that you think that I have done a good job, the fact that you feel like I have produced whatever you've wanted me to produce at that time as far as my job role and distinction. But the interesting thing is when you get into a, that form of possessiveness and even that form of aggression, it's like none of that matters. Like it doesn't matter. It did None of that mattered when I sat in front of her and had that conversation and she started going down that list. My initial reaction is, but I've given my heart and soul to this place. And, but her reaction was, how much have you not given? How much have you, how much have you went behind our backs to do this thing? Like what parts of you, you know, went behind us and, and shadowed this away from us. And so at that moment, it made me shrink. It made me walk differently. It made me talk differently. It made me uh, go inside of myself. Now, mind you, I am still, um, I guess, unearthing what even the word professionalism means to a black woman um, specifically to me especially now during this world of zoom and the fact that you may see my daughter like on a zoom call or the or the fact that you may hear you know I guess you know horns outside blowing if I'm walking and I'm talking I'm having a meeting conversation but it really just lended the fact to, you know, what detrimental things can happen as a result when you are able to bring your whole self and this shyness and this timidness and this feeling of going into, you know, a box every day at your job definitely was a residual result of how that made me feel. And that's something to keep in mind, especially for people who are running a nine to five and also having uh, trying to run their own business at the same time mm -hmm. because they're trying to make you know grow their own business at the and but still have uh, some type of financial stability while they grow their business right absolutely and that was that was a big part you know for me was I didn't I did not mean I guess to keep it hidden as far as I am, I am specifically keeping this a secret because like I said, I had communicated, you know, with HR, um, but I guess there was a breakdown in communication between HR and, you know, my supervisor. And it's one of those things of, it's time for you to be able to make that decision. And I had to make that decision. You know what? I'm going to be here for a couple more months. I'm going to be here for a couple more weeks. The amazing thing is, is that I had another opportunity that opened up that allowed me to leave that also allowed me to um, be in a space where I could be flexible. And this particular role, they love connecting the cause. They are champions of connecting the cause. And so go to the place where you feel loved and wanted um, because they're out there. And um, 
you are doing yourself a, dis a disservice if you continue to stay in a place um, that doesn't suit you while also understanding there are going to be times where I had to do, I couldn't just automatically quit. I had to bite the bullet and I had to stay there a little bit because I wasn't financially secure and I had to wait until a new you know, position opened up. So I do want to be empathetic to the fact that there are women who can't just get up and go. We have families, we have you know, different things going on, whether it is bills, whether it's health issues, whether it's I need to stay here to get this particular bonus, whatever the case may be, do you boo, do you. Just don't stay there in the valley. Know that you can get up at a particular time that you can run and go. Absolutely. Because if you're calling, your calling is like your baby and you cannot feel guilty about having a baby. Yep. It's, it's yep. That's good. That's good. Absolutely. You birthed this. Absolutely. God gave it to you mm -hmm. or whoever mm -hmm. you believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, and it's, it's worth being in a place, and I think this is just work culture in general, that we have to get to a place of, like I said earlier, recognizing people for in their whole selves of who they are. And I had been there for four years, but I had been doing work with Connecting the Cause for two. And we've never had that conversation or there was never a communication of, tell me what you do like outside, you know? And there's some people who don't want that. And that's completely fine, you know, but be the boss, be the person, be the whoever that allows people to be them whole, their whole selves if they wish to share that with you, create the space, you know, for it to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, I, almost, I had that Drake line go into my mind for a second. You know, he's like, I wasn't hiding my child from the world. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> love it exactly <laughs> that's so good <laughs> but it'd be like that you know if it could right. feel oppressive to the point yes. that you know yeah um so it's important to like know that right. um so tell me because i i feel like you're doing healing work you know within the community and i feel like has this work healed you and who heals the people who are in the business of healing, because I, I'm getting the sense that this is a healing mm. cause. Wow. So yeah, I have, it's so interesting. I, I constantly communicate that I will first admit my shortcomings so we can learn and grow together. I do not consider myself an expert <laughs> of anything. Um, I, I only consider myself an expert of my story. That is who I am an expert of. And when I think about healing, this is absolutely healing work, I feel, for a number of different people. So number one, I think for the audience that I have, a lot of people who are white in the nonprofit sector follow me. Also just white folks in general who um, call themselves servants or who want to do volunteer service work, but also a sect of people who follow me are um, black and brown women in the nonprofit sector. And 
the way that I I'm seeing just my community being constructed is that there's so many black and brown women who are like, we have similar um, experiences. We have similar uh, issues. We have similar things that went on, you know, in the nonprofit sector that have affected me. And we're, we all have a very specific, unique way in which we interface with the nonprofit world. And so for me, a lot of my work is confirming to them of yes, sis. Then to like the nonprofit white folks, they're like, oh, this is something I had not thought of before. And then to like the, the volunteers who are white or about that, mm, this is something good to take. So it's hitting people in different ways for their mm -hmm. healing. And so I think for me, it is so healing when I connect with a black woman who is also a volunteer manager, we are thin and in between, okay? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a lot of us. When I'm able to connect with them and they're specifically in spaces of serving, you know, people of color, we have this shared experience. And when I get to dish and talk and communicate just our stories, it's so healing to me because I know that I'm not in it by myself. I'm not in it alone. And we can, you know, talk about we got issues with this white board member who don't know what they're talking about, but they want to start this initiative. They ask nobody about, you know, and we get to, you know, hash that out and see the ways in which we have the power uh, to change certain things. So that's what's healing to me is finding my own community. I've, I've found my community within my community. So yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I, love I love it. So, you know, because the title is Triumphs and Trials. Yes. Any personal or professional losses and wins along the way? Yeah. Oh, so many, so many. Um, I'll first start off, I think, with the one that really changed my trajectory. When I was back in college and I went to Honduras and I served at an orphanage. Um, and I also helped with building a school. And I look, the, the thing about the experience was that experience alone started the trajectory of my passion and how I wanted to serve and where I wanted to serve and what I wanted to do to make a difference. Simultaneously, that was the same instance where I caused harm to a Brown community. And so because of the practices, because of the ways in which I had not fully educated myself, the ways in which I tokenized them, the ways in which I felt pity, the ways in which I felt Western power over them, over the global South. So it, though, as I am going on this journey on my own, that was a loss and a win at the same time because it started me on this but it's also like the thorn in my side that keeps me pushing, knowing that, you know, people who look like me can also cause harm if we are a part of an institution that is causing that harm. Like we can do it too. Um, and we can internalize organizational uh, harm. We can internalize whiteness. We can internalize white supremacy culture that perpetuates those things. And so it's uh, unlearning for me, constantly um, learning from that trauma. 
And then, so I think that's a, a win and a loss. I think um, another loss that turns into a win <laughs> is the fact that my original um, people uh, we're going to be nonprofit organizations. Like I'm going to connect with nonprofit organizations through connecting the cause and I'm going to do workshops for them and I'm going to um, change up their systems da, da, da. and they get me in the door and I have a lot of those one-on-one -on -one discovery calls. And then they automatically say, this is great. This sounds good, but I'm sorry. We just need volunteers in the door. We just need to put butts in seats. Like I've heard butts in I've seats. Heard, I've heard that. So literally it's like you don't care about the frou-frou quote unquote that you, that you communicated. Um, you don't care about the community. You care about the numbers. You care about quantifying. You care about the product. Um, more so than you care about the process. And the process is what is what makes a better product. And so it was a loss for me to just hear how many nonprofit organizations were really on this hamster wheel of we have to create product and we have to show numbers so that we get funding so that we stay open so that the doors you know stay open for community so we can get paid so then we can recruit volunteers and there's just a cycle over and over again and so that was a loss to be able to to hear that and I started to lose myself in that I started to tweak and change connecting the calls as a result of what you know was happening when I was having these discovery calls but now I am proud to say I am not here to recruit volunteers for you. I am not here to put butts in seats. I am not here to be volunteer centric and focused. I'm here to be community focused. And if the volunteers have a fun time or they gain skill or they gain a new interest in the process of that, amen. But that is not the main focus to create a fun zoo-like Six Flags Disney World experience for your volunteers to have a great time, take pictures, get the t-shirt, and then go home with the cup. Like that's not what volunteerism is about. And so now it's a win that I am very focused on that. I'm, I'm very you know, strong, I think, in my presentation on that, and I'm unwavering. And so that's a huge win for me to be able to come out on the other side and know that people need to hear this and that it's it's needed for this sector. Wow, I love that. I'm definitely quoting that moment, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I think I found my clip, <laughs> my preview clip. <laughs> that was amazing, and that needs to be said. Yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about losses and your experience that you were speaking on in Honduras and how you pretty much took that in and you propelled it for the better because you realized that you also at some point almost were becoming like a tool for, for this. Yeah. And, and it brought me back to the space I was in when I was working at the Juvenile Justice Center and working in the criminal justice system, how at times like you know, you, you, you get to a point where you start losing your purpose and you lose sight of like, cause I've been guilty of it. You lose sight of like why you were there in the first place and who you were serving. Cause now you're trying to just put food on the table. But there, I hit a point where I was telling my, my coworkers, I was like, you guys understand that like they're using us 
to hide whatever like oppression that is going on within the criminal justice mm-hmm. system. So they know that most social workers, they know that most people who work in the community are going to be of color. Most of the time, people who are going that want to help their people are usually our own people that want to come in and help. And yeah. it's also very stri- strategic the way the criminal justice system works in doing that because it's almost like, well, you look like me. It cannot, you cannot be causing harm onto me. Cause like, and that's where it's like, no, 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 no. My mind can still be colonized and have this whitewashing. Yes. Like I can still be whitewashed. And I, and I finally hit a moment where I saw that it was happening to me. And when I started to poke other people and be like, Hey, we, we need to advocate for ourselves. Like we're, we're not putting ourselves first. We're being disrespected and disregarded. And I was like, literally telling my coworkers. And I was like, almost, I look like a rebel at work because I was getting so amped and like the fact that this was happening and I was realizing this and I was awakening to this realization. And my coworkers at times, like, were just like, girl, listen, get your check and go. Like, just grab your check and go. Mm. And, and, and that, you know, we need to have each other's back at some point. Like, there has to be a point. I, and I understand we need to put food on the table. But where, what is it going to take for us to break that? Like, for us to have each other's back within these mm. type of work, these type of fields of, like, yeah. social work, criminal justice, community, anything, mental health. Mm-hmm. where do we come in and come together and say stop we are more there's more workers there's more volunteers there's more of us than the like those who are in a higher position of power right so unionization like i know unions are a thing at times some uh states have them for like these type of workers I know like for teachers there's like mostly nationwide but when it comes to like community workers and social workers like it varies from state to state Mm -hmm. and I understand how frustrating that can be because then it's like who do we go to when we do feel like we have something to advocate and something's wrong within our nonprofit organization or just like the overall job that I'm in or even if let's say it is for profit mm-hmm. um and so I just wanted to hi- highlight that a little bit because I think that's also one of the things that come into play yeah yeah for sure I I'm, I appreciate you you know highlighting that because I feel like all of our purposes are in some way shape or form co- are connected to serving someone else is connected to serving others And I feel like, you know, in our spaces, there are some people who are like, yeah, you know, let me just get the paycheck and leave. And there are some people who are like, you know what, I want to make a difference. And I feel like at some point, we all have to recognize our role. Um, We all have to recognize what our role is in being able to liberate ourselves. And when we think about our roles, Everyone, every, everyone's role doesn't look the same, but it has that equal importance. And so 
we, I think about, I think about uh, this workshop that I was in the other day, I think with like Lily Zing or whatever, I think, yeah. And she's amazing. And there's some people who go out and they protest and there's other people who order the pizza for when they come back, you know, and feed them. Like there's some people who would go and uh, create and do the graphic design for the flyers. And there's the other ones who will pass them out. Like we have to figure out what our role is and our roles may not look like other people, but what we can't do is check out completely. Do we rest? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know, our liberation is tied to each other and we have to be in a space of being able to show up for each other and um whether that looks like today i'm gonna rest i may not show up but tomorrow when i leave this job i am going to write down a formal complaint about what happened or you know i may not have this conversation today but tomorrow i am gonna talk to um, my boss about the ways in which I feel, you know, microaggressions. And so as much as we need to speak up, there are other allies, other individuals who are co-conspirators to this work, who also have a responsibility that when we come and we communicate, be that person that always, that also backs, backs us up and is able to say, okay, let me help you carry the load. What's next? Um, so I think that we all have a part and we all have to realize what that part is for sure. Thank you for that. Mm. Now moving on to lighter. <laughs> <laughs> you see how we, uh, you know, we're bringing the intensity and we like. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Um, your views on economic equity. Yeah. So this is, this is so good, um, I think, in a couple of ways. With my work with Connecting the Cause, I see it happening on multiple fronts. Number one, I have a daughter, and Connecting the Cause allows me to leave a legacy for her in terms of me having a business, me having an LLC, me being a player and being able to bring in income that can then be passed down to her that she is now currently using that is outside of a formal uh, organization that then dicks dictates to me where my money goes and how it should go and if they decide to cut me off <laughs> then you know what happens so I have the autonomy to dictate that and for me that is equity um, economic equity I think on the other side of that when I think about my work with connecting the cause and I think about uh, the liberation of the communities that are being served through nonprofits when we get this right, um, if we get this right, the goal is self-sufficiency. That's the goal of or nonprofit organizations. I completely have uh, completely come out of the business of being able to serve and being able to give because there's nobody to serve and give to. Like that's the goal of the nonprofits um, that, that are, you know, now sort of kind of permeating our world. But then at the same time, are you doing 
programs and services and the ways in which you interact with the community? Are you doing it so that they continue to be dependent on the programs and services? Or, or are you doing it in a way that helps with the liberation of them from whatever economic, whatever healthcare, whatever mental health situation um, that they're in right now? Are you creating that space for that equity to happen? And so I believe that through connecting the cause, when we show up in partnership and we show up with that dignity and that respect and you have gifts and you have talents and you have assets, how can we partner together for our liberation together? Then that creates that economic equity of being able to rise up and being able to be on the same playing field. Um, and that's what I pray and that's what I hope for connecting the cause in the future. This just came full circle without intentionally doing it because we were just talking about possessiveness and mm -hmm. allowing us to be able to do this. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that right now. Yes. Nonprofits are working from a place of possessiveness. Yes. In so many different ways and not from a place of true liberation. Like you are not mine to have, right? You are not mine to hold. You are not mine to coddle. You know, you are your own mind for your own autonomy, for your own purpose let me support you in your dreams. Let me be a co-conspirator to your dreams. And in order to be a co-conspirator to someone's dreams, you have to know what their dreams are. You have to know, you have to have a relationship with them first. And so that possessiveness is, I don't know you, I don't really know about you, but I know you mine. I mean, the thing about it is like, we have like kids and they play with toys, like mine, 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 mine. It's like, that's how nonprofits are sometimes. It's like, it's mine, I don't care who got it. I don't care who is in the room. I, I just know you're mine, I wanna help you. But you don't, they don't allow them to be free to be able to choose. And so that's such a good way of, of communicating that and saying that I appreciate that so much. We're just trying to ring bells of freedom out here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love it. Oh my goodness. So I'm so happy that it. we that we did that. And you know, before we go off, there's just a couple of other questions that, you know, to personally get to know you a little bit more. I want to hear what was the response that you got when you decided to step out in faith and like birth connecting the cause <laughs> oh gosh um you know from my family they were like it makes sense I mean from my family they were like it just made sense that you be in this space um I thought that I would live and die to be perfectly honest I would live and die ending up being a uh, director or executive director at a nonprofit organization that I did not find, um, that, that wasn't founded by me. Um, I just, I, I don't know, that's how, I don't know. I think that if anybody has that goal, that's amazing. But for me, that's, I think how much uh, of that institutionalism I had of like, I didn't see myself as doing nothing else but working for somebody else's like, organization that they have found and I'm going to be the leader in that um but 
when I told them they were excited, um, my family's from the deep South. And so to hear that I am doing something like this, like they call it Atlanta, the big city. So to hear that I was doing something like this, they sort of kind of got a grasp, but not totally got an understanding of where it was from. But it made sense because my mom, she retired um, from special education, being in special education all her life. My dad was in the National Guard, but he also now has a farm and he uh, supports the community through creating raised beds so that people can have access to their own produce. Okay. I mean, this is, a, this is like innate, like in me. So I definitely come from a long line of just servers, of people who give back. And so it, it made sense for my family, for my friends, uh, such cheerleaders go for it. Like they didn't know like what it looked like, but they were like, I'm here to cheer you on sis, I'm here to help. And, uh, and of course, above all, like my husband has been like phenomenal. My husband himself is prominent in having service as a part of his heart and a part of his very soul. And so we come together knowing that we wanna raise a family with that in mind and that being the forefront, but him also just being my soundboard and my go-to and my brainstormer, he actually coined the term connecting the cause. I didn't come up with the name of the organ of the business. He came up with the name. So he's forever tied to, to this work. And so from all sides, I, I got um, a positive response. I think the most negative response I got was from myself of imposter syndrome of not knowing if I could do it, of not knowing if I had enough experience. I started connecting the cause when I was 20, around 26, 27. That's awesome. So I was just like, I'm not this uh, 45, 50 year old professional who's had three decades in the nonprofit sector, who's seen it all, done it all. But that's why I, I, I'm secure in not being able to claim myself as a DEI expert, as a nonprofit expert. Um, I claim to know just what it feels like to not belong. And so that is birthed out of my experiences. And so I just share my experiences and I share the unlearning that I'm doing um, so that, you know, so that I'm not positioning myself in this, in this space of having this inundated pressure that I don't need from myself um, of being this thing. Um, I will say that I could be a thought leader. I can say that I'll be a thought leader, but that's like as high. <laughs> that's as much as it'll go before I put too much pressure on it and I'm ready to bail out. So, so yeah. Awesome. And your strengths right now that you have, your, that you've, where, where do you find strength? The strengths that I have, I think I am a good uh, listener when it comes to the stories of those that I'm serving. Um, one of the things that's so important to me is that we recognize that we are the story, we're the storytellers, we are the new storytellers our ancestors are gone, you know, our mothers are getting older. Um, and it's time for us to 
take those stories and, and get them and hold on to them and nurture them and, and repeat them. And so um, I'm working on my strength of really being a storyteller and being a taker in of stories. So then I can be the new, the new storyteller of my family um, of this age. And um, I think one of the things that I realized that I am a slow learner, I am not a fast learner. And it is okay that I'm a slow learner. And I realize it is a strength to not have to hurry up and produce, have to hurry up and get it right. So then I can duplicate. It's okay to not grasp it all at the same time and marinate and sit and rest and get it wrong and then make mistakes and say, oh, well, I just didn't do that. And, you know, be this, be a, being a slow learner, I think is something that I, um, that I cater to within myself because it's okay to just take it bit by bit and not learn everything so fast and try to duplicate it and do it quick. But there is beauty in the slow and the slowness. So those I think are my strengths and I really gain my strength from my faith. I gain my strength in knowing that uh, God sees me as worthy. And so all of us are created in the image of God. And so, so we need to treat each other you know, in that accordance, right? We need to treat each other as if we were made, you know, from the same stock, we were made from the same God. And that is where um, that, that worth um, comes from and my strength lies um, as well. So, yeah. Amazing. And where are you now in your journey? <laughs> where am I now? I am in a season of embrace of just embracing. I'm in the season of embracing the fact that I am here, that I am seen, that I have work that needs to be done, but it's good work and it's solid work. And it's, and it, it's work that is essential for us to love each other better and for us to love each other well. And so um, that's where I am right now, just embracing what comes. I'm embracing the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who want to talk about belonging and uh, nonprofit space and volunteers and being inclusive and community first. And did it take a while? Yeah. Did it come under some terrible circumstances that I wish wouldn't have happened? Absolutely. But now that it's here, like, it's time for me to embrace this space that I'm in and be able to be a teacher and being able to also be a learner. And so I'm, I'm just in this, in this role of the journey of just embracing um, and taking people along the journey with me and not feeling like I have to have arrived to be able to share. Um, so yeah, those, those are my thoughts. Amazing. So what are your takeaways? Thank you so much for this conversation. First and foremost, honey, your soul is golden. <laughs> I have not used my coin slogan. This is the first time I've used it. And I've, I was just pushed to say it. It was like 
utter the words girl I'm, gonna, I'm literally gonna write that and i'm gonna like quote you like on instagram like it's done honey your soul is golden like that's what i i'm 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 putting it as a quote i will absolutely quote you i'm gonna tag you like the that's gonna be the synopsis of this you will see it in print <laughs> on instagram like it's done <laughs> I love this. I love it. Um, so any last uh, suggestions for our listeners, tools, advice, where can we find you? Yeah, so uh, my, my advice, I think moving forward, my take, my, my gift to you and walk away is that we are in a very crucial time to figure out and make sure we're loving people and serving them well and loving them well and loving people well means being able to uproot the harmful things that have been done to us so that we can serve others um and so that we can be able to give what's been given to us because none of us made it here in this moment on our own and so that's my work my work is that when people um, one day introduce themselves. They say their name. They say that where they're from, and they say the cause they're connected about. They're connected to, and what they care about. Like that's my goal. So everybody's connected to something that's deep, and it's part of their identity, and it's a part of something that they champion. And so I just pray that everyone finds that thing that they care about, and that they uh, influence it in the role in which they have been assigned. Um, you can find me mostly on Instagram. I think I answer Instagram DMs like faster than even than emails, I think at this point. Um, but you can find me on Instagram um, at Connecting the Cause. And then also I have a community that's offline where uh, we have volunteers and EDs and practitioners and Black women um, who are all coming together talking about how to uproot harmful practices within ourselves and within our communities. And it's called The Renewed. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find that at um, my website at www.connectingthecause.com. So those, those are where you can mainly find me in my Renewed community and on Instagram. So yeah. Thank you so much. Um, again, guys, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you for tuning in. If you have, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, go spread some love at Brianna's page at Connecting the Cause. And don't forget, our soul is golden. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe before you go. Until next time.